Good evening, and welcome to the Cabinet of Fever Dreams. Tonight's a tale of virtual reality, science, and everyone's favorite egg-shaped academic. This is the second chapter of Professor Egghead's Metaverse Adventure, read to you by me, Mike Jesus Langer, and presented with musical backing by Carl Casey, The Dark Side of Music, and Petar Mardian. If you want to catch all the episodes of the novella, make sure to pop by this corner of the internet again in a few days. New episodes of The Cabinet of Fever Dreams come out every Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday. Also, if you want to help the show get cozy with the many-armed spider god of the algorithm, please consider rating us 5 stars on Spotify or leaving an iTunes review. The internet is a cruel place for small content creators and every little bit of engagement helps. With all that said, put on your VR headset and make sure it's snug. It won't be coming off for a while. I keep reminding myself that I'm actually lying on the floor of my living room, but it doesn't help. My brain might be certain that I'm wearing sweatpants in a heated apartment, but my eyes are seeing something else. A pixel-perfect world of snow, blood, and broken glass spreads out in front of me. When I stand up in my living room, in my bare feet, I can feel the softness of the carpet on my soles. Yet my eyes and ears deceive me. I'm wearing snow-drenched sneakers and there are shards of glass on the floor. When I step on them, I can hear them shatter. Even on the softness of the carpet, I can feel the broken glass crush into transparent sand. The second floor fall made my right leg drag and bleed. I'm far too terrified to roll up my jeans to check the damage, but I don't need a degree in medicine to know that it's bad. Luckily, the legs that I feel are still the ones standing on soft carpet. My virtual elbow is bloodied from a successful battle with the panel house's glass entrance, but I also don't feel it. The only thing I feel are my frostbitten fingers. My hands are red and swollen and in the shape of claws. After a couple of minutes away from the blizzard, I have rediscovered the ability to move my thumbs, but all other motion that I provoke in my hands is sluggish and numb. My developer tools are completely disabled. There's no shutting off the simulation. I have tried for all means possible to remove the VR gloves or the headset, but it's impossible. Taking off the gloves in the real world is akin to trying to rip off my skin in the simulation, and if I reach for the headset, my wrists turn limp. The blizzard beyond the broken glass howls and the sun starts to set. All of the doors in the hallway are locked and the elevator refuses to work. No amount of pacing through broken glass can get me out of the simulation. I turn creative. Past the Soviet hellscape in which I stand, I try to visualize my living room. I try to visualize where my desk is. I say a little prayer and then slam my head into the desk in an attempt to dislodge the headset. The moment my forehead meets the table, a primal scream escapes my throat. It doesn't feel like I just banged my head. Sharp, hot bolts of agony run down my spine and explode out into my limbs. The carpet I fall onto is soft, but faintly. Ever so faintly, I can feel the fine edges of broken glass. It takes me more than a couple heavy breaths to wipe the pain from my eyes. I hold out my frozen hands to soothe the ache in my forehead, but my wrists refuse to cooperate. I scream. I scream like an animal trapped in a snare and all the frost-covered world of cement replies with is echoes of my screams. The fear of being trapped in this terrible virtual reality nearly drives me mad, but then... With a gentle chime, 
my spirit soars. Upper right corner of my vision, a message alert painted in bright neon green. Simon J is online. The rest of the company chat tools are invisible, but swiping at the alert pops up a conversation tab. I point my clawed finger to where the record message button usually is and pray. A gentle click in my right ear lets me know that the software can hear me. I ask Simon to immediately contact someone from management and get me out of the simulation. I make my request slowly and clearly to maximize my chances of rescue. Yet when I am met with nothing but silence, my pleas lose their veneer of professionalism. I scream. I scream and beg for help, but my cries are not answered. Not by Simon, at least. A rock flies past my head, breaking what's left of the glass entrance. Shrill screams and incomprehensible language follow. A hag carrying a burlap sack emerges out of the blizzard. She is completely deaf to any of my apologies or pleas for help. She simply screams and screams and when she is close enough to reach me she swings the burlap sack at me. I do not feel the impact but the hit sends my digital avatar to the ground. She swipes at me with sharp nails that peek out from beneath her rags and when I'm too far to reach she spits at me. I know she's just a collection of pixels governed by code but that knowledge refuses to stick. With the fury of an exorcist, the old woman continues to scream. She jabs her fingers at me and then points to the broken glass. She stomps and spits and threatens me as if she were real and as if I had truly harmed her in some way. For the briefest of moments, I feel guilty about breaking down the door to the complex. I even try to apologize again, but the hag simply curses me once more, unlocks the heavy wooden door and disappears into her apartment. When the door to the apartment closes, I feel the gentlest gust of warmth on my hands. It gives me goosebumps. I try to take off my headset once more, but my wrists go limp again. My descent into despair is swift, but it is paused by a chime in my ear. New message from Simon J. The bright green beam of hope reads, Hey Matt, I'm just putting the kids to bed right now. Uh, we'll listen to your message when they're asleep. Hope you're well, dude. I scream again. I scream multiple messages dissuading Simon from putting his kids to bed but none of them are seen. My voice doesn't steady for a while but when it does I send Simon one last calm message telling him exactly what I need him to do. Contact management, boot the simulation in administrator mode and eject me. Half my hope for getting out of this snare is the belief that escape will be simple. Beyond that thick wooden door. I can still hear the hags raving, but the screeches are no longer a sermon. Another voice is answering her calls. A dark voice. A dark voice that grows progressively angrier and angrier with each response. I shovel away from the door, but there's nowhere to hide. The dark voice is carried by heavy footsteps to the other side of the door. When the door of the apartment slams open, I feel a rush of warm air on my hands. I try to run, but I can't. In front of me stands a Mongol giant wearing nothing but a towel. His skin glows red and a cloud of steam follows each of his striding movements. His eyes narrow, the veins on his massive neck stretch out like lightning. He swipes at my face with his massive paw. I do not feel the impact of the slap, but it lifts me off my feet. When I land on the floor, I can't feel the softness of my living room carpet anymore. All I feel is crushed glass. I feel no pain, yet the slap takes its toll, the right half of my vision is shaky and unclear. 
the giant lets out another battle cry and reaches to hit me once more. In an impotent effort for self-defense, I grab one of the rocks the hag threw at me. The stone bounces off the giant's pectorals like a ball of crumpled newspaper. He doesn't even register my missile. The red-skinned giant simply grabs me by my shoulders and throws me out into the blizzard. My digital avatar tumbles down the steps of concrete, but all I feel is the snow on my aching palms. Towering above me, the giant screams and starts to make strides towards the broken door. The hate in his eyes and voice leaves no room for negotiation. He wants me dead. I climb to my feet and start to shuffle deeper into the blizzard, knowing full well that the brute moves faster. Just as I start to make peace with another imminent assault, however, I hear the giant howl behind me. He clutches his bare foot. Even though the rest of his body lost its color in the face of the frigid wind, his foot is blood red. A jagged piece of broken glass juts out from behind the giant's thumb. Soon enough, the hush of the blizzard washes out the angry shouts. Soon enough, the hush of the blizzard is all that is left. The terrible cold returns back to my palms. My hands turn back into shivering claws and any willful movement of my fingers becomes impossible. I know I'm standing in a room with central heating and double glazed windows, but I start to feel the furious fangs of frostbite seize the tips of my fingers. I press my hands beneath my shirt in an attempt to share some body heat. The VR gloves feel like dry ice against my skin. The question of how the temperature could transfer through the simulation keeps on nipping at what little sanity I have left, and I let it. In the face of that frigid cloud of white, I need something to occupy my mind. I trudge on through the blizzard in search of shelter. After the slap, it's difficult to look up to the right, but I still see Simon's name. That neon green beacon of hope has descended into a subdued yellow hue. Simon J. Away. His face is a mystery, but I have distinct memories of Simon being one of my co-workers back when we would get our assignments from the back of a coffee shop. I don't know how many kids he has or how old they are, but I do recall that he would mention his kids a lot. I pray he remembers me more than I remember him. I trudge on through the blizzard, fueled only by hope that Simon's children will soon be asleep and that I will soon be free. That hope carries me through the torrents of snow until the wind finally passes. The air is still unbearable, but whatever chill left with the storm is quickly replaced by the setting sun. The windows of the cement houses light up much brighter than the street lamps on the road. Simon J. Away. In those windows, I see silhouettes of people. Unnerved by the idea of being observed inside of a simulation, I make another attempt to remove my headset. My wrists go limp once more. I keep praying that Simon's children are fast asleep. Simon J. Away. The sun fully sets. The world is dark and I'm being watched. My abdomen is completely numb from the virtual reality gloves and my throat starts to grow sore. I try to remind myself that I'm actually standing in my living room and that it's all a simulation but my brain doesn't know how to make sense of that knowledge. What I can make sense of, however, is the fact that beyond the simulation, I am a man. I am hungry. I need to eat. The ice pack that I'm holding against my vital organs can't be good for me. A cough scratches its way out of my throat. Simon J. Recording. The moment the icon turns green, all worries of prolonged exposure disappear. I consider myself saved already. 
New message from Simon J. The bright beam of hope reads, uh, Hey Matt, so I've just started listening to some of your messages and uh, is this a prank? I feel like there's a reference here that I'm missing. Uh, let me know that you're okay, please. It's not a prank, I scream. And then, steadying my voice, I send a second message. I've booted up a file that turned out to be malware and I am unable to exit the simulation or even take off my gear. I don't know what is happening, all I know is I want out. Please forward this message to management and then boot up the file for administration mode. Your department should have access to that feature. Thank you. My voice shakes from the chatter in my teeth. Another cough snakes its way through my lungs. Before I have a chance to record another plea for help, the green beacon of hope lights up again. New message from Simon J. Alright, uh, sorry for the delay, Matt. I've uh, forwarded your memo and I'm plugging in. Should be with you in a moment. Gotcha. Uh, now, just to run this as an administrator and... Silence. Simon? I ask. My voice echoes through the silent blocks of panel housing. The sky has turned completely dark. The figures behind the curtain stand perfectly still like statues. Another cough escapes my throat. It too echoes. New message from Simon J. A green light flashes in the corner of my eye. So I've tried booting up the file remotely and it refuses to work. Track you down in the virtual office and tried booting up as an administrator on site but that won't work either. Not sure what I'm dealing with here, uh, but just give me a couple minutes, I'll suss it out. Before I have a chance to respond, my tie to the outside world is severed. The bright green icon of hope simmers down into a shapeless grey box. Soon enough, all trace of Simon's name disappears. I'm left alone in the simulation. It's just a couple of minutes, I say out loud. My words turn into nothing but wisps of steam and echoed syllables. My words of self-soothing bounce through the concrete walls until the world goes completely silent. It stays silent. It stays silent for what feels like a minute and then, out of that silence, comes a horrible howling sound. An air raid siren, a single cutting note strained too far. The warnings come in bursts but the echo of the housing projects makes the howl eternal. It's just a couple of minutes, I say out loud again. My voice is lost in a hollow groan of the siren. The silhouettes behind the curtain start to disappear. The lit up windows go dark. Off in the distance, I can see an imposing silhouette of a bridge. I don't know whether hiding under it is a good idea, but I convince myself that it is. Shivering and terrified, I shamble my way to shelter. I try to remind myself that I'm standing in the middle of my living room, but that thought refuses to stick. The soft carpet beneath my feet feels impossibly distant. I cannot hear the crunch of snow over the deafening silence, but each step that I take in a digital world feels undeniably real. The light of the street lamps flickers and strains until it finally goes out. I am left in a world of darkness and cacophony. The sky is without stars or moon, the bridge which was my destination turns from a vague silhouette into an unrecognizable part of the abyss. The world is completely black and the sirens are deafening. I blindly push on, but my resolve soon breaks. I stop. 
I stop and I sigh and my eyes well up with tears. The air raid siren has dragged any concept of time into the realm of the absurd, but I know it's been longer than a couple minutes. I reach up my hand to wipe the tears from my face, but my wrist goes limp. Out of a wretched sense of powerlessness, I scream. The scream is nothing but the vocalization of a trapped animal, yet as if it were able to hear me, as if it took pity on me, the air raid siren goes silent. The howls and my screams bounce across the cement housing for a couple more breaths, but then the world turns dead once more. I can smell again. I can smell the virtual Soviet hellscape I am trapped in. The air carries the tinny scent of a nosebleed. New message from Simon J. The green light leaps out of the darkness, nearly blinding me. Hey, Matt. A familiar voice speaks out of the darkness. So, it's uh, very much a good news, bad news situation. Uh, good news. Even though I wasn't able to access the file through regular channels to eject you, I have been able to get it into debugging mode. The file seems to be self-updating and is running live, but theoretically, I can mess around with the code. Only theoretically, though. Uh, bad news. Matt, I have no idea what language this script is written in. There's zero line breaks, syntax looks completely unhinged, and what's worse, it's, uh, it's written in Cyrillic. The information starts to wrap itself around my head, but before I can reach out and reply, something else grabs my attention. Off in a distance, beyond the bridge and beyond the city, I hear a second siren. From far away, the siren is almost a whisper by the time it reaches the echo chamber of cement, but its tone is considerably darker. Goosebumps shiver down my spine. Please, is all I manage to say. That terrible stench of blood strengthens and clamps down around my throat. I see the outline of the bridge again. Faint blue light shimmers in the sky. I can try forcing some ejection code in. Maybe a hard restart of the simulation will bring back your developer tools. Might take a couple of tries, but I'm sure we can get you unplugged. Don't worry. Please, I squeak, looking off into the ever-brightening horizon. Quick! Beyond the bridge, there is a forest, and out of that forest come pulses of bluish light. With each pulse, that light spreads further and further. With each pulse, my heart quickens. Matt, uh, did that do anything? The whispers of the siren turn into words. How about this? The deep pitch of the siren starts to rise. Darn. Um, okay. Let's try a restart. A hauntingly familiar falsetto squirms between the panel houses. Matt, are you still there? Yes. No one can escape the company! Come 
Nothing worked? No. No one can escape the company of Professor Reagan. In a glorious shout, the forest explodes with blinding light. The rush of energy hits me like a stroke. My whole body flashes with a terrible chill and a web of agony spreads through my right leg. The pain that I had avoided from the fall, from the punch, from my tangle with the glass door, it all collects reparations. I fall on my soft living room floor, but all I feel is gravel and snow. When I climb up to my feet, the pain almost renders me blind. Do you see a phone booth? I blink. The forest is still shining with energy, but the pulses are turning sluggish and weak. I barely see it past the blur of pain, but when my tears slide to my cheek, the gentle yellow light shines through. A phone booth. Yes, I yell. Phone booth. The phone booth isn't close, and each step is agony. All the newfound bruises on my body drain me of any energy. I try to focus on moving slow and staying sane. Good. Uh, unexpected, but good. The booth is more of an inside joke than a security measure, but picking up the receiver should shuffle you to another project in your queue. It's going to be easier to lift you out of there than whatever this uh, Professor Eggman thing is. Egghead, I correct him. Right, Simon responds. Let's hope that the booth works. The sky goes dark once more. Each step is followed by sharp breaths strained through my teeth, but I start to feel safe. The light on top of the phone booth shines out for me in the snowy darkness. There's hope to be found in the promise that escape will be easy. I find faith and it eases my pain, but then I get greedy. As I pull my broken leg through the snow towards the phone booth, I look back. I look back expecting to find nothing but darkness, nothing but a reminder of a place I would never have to see again, yet instead, I see burning coals. No one can escape the company of Professor Egghead! Out of the darkness, marching in pairs, there's a dozen familiar red lights. The same creatures I had witnessed at the Hotel Rusalka are following my trail. Their little feet move much faster than mine. Help! I scream. Eggheads! I scream. Simon delivers a message in reply, but I do not hear it. With every shred of strength that I have in me, I force my body into a sprint. All I can hear is the beating of my heart, and, somewhere deep beneath that racing thud, my screams. My entire being burns with torment, and the tears in my eyes dissolve the path, but somehow I stumble my way inside of the phone booth. The snow around them melts into muddy puddles. With the zeal of a disobedient toddler, they stomp in the dirty water, turning it to steam. The burning eyes of the creatures look like the work of the devil, yet the eggheads sound like children. In polysyllabic bursts, the monsters babble and stomp and stare. Is it working? Simon asks. I look away from the egg creatures and reach for the receiver. All I hear when I press the phone to my ear is the babbling of the monsters outside. I open my mouth to tell Simon I'm doomed, but before I can vocalize my despair, I hear a dial tone. It drags with the tenacity of thunder. My body becomes weightless and the world is whisked away. Blue. All I see is tranquil blue set to the tune of elevator music. 
At first I have no arms or legs or face, but they slowly render in. My broken cartoon body shivers into virtual reality and the elevator music keeps on playing. There is no green beacon of hope. My developer tools are still unresponsive. Out of the tranquil sea of blue, a logo of a famous supermarket chain emerges. Real shopping from the comfort of your home, reads a bright sign below it. The elevator music softens into a whisper, an infinite plane of blue drifts apart like a mirage. I stand in the middle of a giant grocery aisle, shivering and beaten. Simon? I ask. There is no response. Only quiet elevator music. The Cabinet of Fever Dreams is written and produced by Mike Jesus Langer and is brought to you by patrons such as Moo, Serafina L, Lucky J. Horton, Kus, Bob Kondrick, Chicken Mixer, Daniel Wengel, Mr. Creepypasta, Charlie Cooper, Dante Kincaid, and Matt. If you'd like to join these fine people and support the show and get early access to episodes along with a bunch of bonus content, drop by patreon.com slash Mike J. Langer. That's all for tonight. See you all on the next episode of Cabinets of Fever Dreams.